After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, <clears throat> also called the Sea of Tiberias. A large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. When he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. When they were satisfied, he told his disciples, Gather up the fragments left over, so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and from the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled twelve baskets. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they have rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward which they were going. This is the word of God for the people of God. Well, we find ourselves in the Gospel of John today, and this is the Gospel that's different from the others. The stories are different, the viewpoint is different, and there are different characters we find in this Gospel that we find no one else, like the Samaritan woman at the well, Nicodemus, and this overemphasized, well, maybe not overemphasized, but chiefly emphasized role of Mary Magdalene in so many of the scenes. So there are a lot of different things. There's no birth narrative, for example. There's no story of how Jesus was born or what he did when he was young. And if you plan to have a nativity scene this year that's all the Gospel of John theme, um, you just will have a table with nothing on it because we don't have any wise men or shepherds or anything from John. But the gospel does start out with words about Jesus and where Jesus began. You remember this. We read this every Christmas Eve after we're finished with communion. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being with him was life. And the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. And then we start singing Silent Night, and all the candles get lit, 
down the rows, and we carry our light out into the very dark night. So at Christmas, we remember that Jesus was the light of the world. This scripture that talks about light also talks about the word and says Jesus was the word. Jesus was this divine logos. The Hebrew scriptures would call it divine wisdom and would personify it as a female who exists in a dynamic relationship with God. Jan Richardson is one of my favorite Christian authors. She is a United Methodist clergy person and artist. And you will be able to tell in the next 20 minutes that I've just bought another one of her books that I have really loved looking through and reading. She reminds us that this female presence of wisdom dwelled with God at the beginning of creation, has an active hand in history, cries out for justice, bids us to feast at her table, and calls out to us to follow in her path. In this story today, Jesus cries out for justice, has an active hand in history, and bids us to feast at his table. This personified logos causes us to follow in his path. Now let's think about this story. Jesus is out there outside preaching, and the scripture says there were 5,000 in attendance. We are to assume that that means 5,000 men. So if everybody brought a wife or a mother or a date, that would be 10,000 people. There, in some Gospels, the finishing part of the sentence, not counting women and children. Megan McKenna has a book that she has entitled Not Counting Women and Children, which is the great stories of the women in the Bible. So if we assume that everybody came with a wife or a mother or a date or a daughter or a son, then that's at least 10,000 people who were fed in this miracle out there on the mountainside. Gail O'Day, a New Testament commentator, talks about Jesus' attitude and presence in the story. And she says the way he presents the dilemma and the way he solves it reflect what a Jewish host would do at a meal. Jesus provides this food by dividing this small lunch that the boy has and distributing it to all these people. And he takes care of these people who are his guests. But he didn't necessarily invite them all to come that day, but they showed up, and instead of him saying, there are too many of you, go home, or I'm just here to preach, I'm not responsible for lunch, he says, I will feed these people, and he treats them with respect and honors them by providing food for them. O'Day also points out that Jesus initiates this miracle. He anticipates the people's physical need for food, and he decides to do something about it. He could have turned and left and left them to their own devices, but just as he initiated contact with the Samaritan woman at the well and the man at the pool at Bethsaida, he anticipates the hunger of the crowd and he initiates a solution to the problem. <clears throat> he, of course, asks the disciples, what should we do? as any good teacher would do, saying, give me an answer. Have you been paying attention? What do you think we ought to do? 
They answer with concrete answers. They answer from their logical brains. They answer with conventional solutions. But conventional solutions do not offer solutions. Jesus' answer is to do something unconventional and to rely on God and rely on the power of the miracle and also to rely on the power of people to actually share and not hoard the food that they are receiving. Some commentators would say the real miracle is that people actually were kind and nice. Not so much that the food was multiplied, but they were willing to break off smaller pieces for themselves than maybe they ordinarily would have. Another interesting thing about what Jesus does here is he's not so focused on converting them. He's really focused on filling their stomachs. He looks at their physical needs and he addresses that. The miracle might have been that all of those 10,000 or more people came to believe and then Jesus was walking through the country with a band of 10,000 people following him and proclaiming his goodness. But what happens is he meets their needs for survival, a basic need. And that in turn turns them into preachers. And as they leave and go back to their villages, they tell everyone about this amazing thing that happened. Jan Richardson did live for a time at a place called San Pedro, which is just outside of Orlando, Florida. This was after she had served for four years in a 3,000-member church as an associate pastor. She found herself at San Pedro as the artist in residence, having befriended the leader of the place, Brother David, many years before in her work at the great big church. He knew she had a gift for art, and so he invited her to come and be artist in residence and she enjoyed living there for about a year, which was sort of sabbatical time, but also the launch pad for a whole new place in her career. She said that one thing Father David would do in his leadership of the place was to stop on Tuesdays and spend most of the day baking bread. She said she would try her best to wait till about four or five in the afternoon, and then she would walk up the hill from her cabin to the guest house where he stayed, just so she could smell the bread baking. And if she were lucky, she'd get there right about the time he was setting it all out on the counter. Eventually, he invited her to come and share in the preparation of the bread. And she said, I never knew how therapeutic it was to punch my fists into big wads of dough, that warm dough with the yeast in it, and you feel almost as if it's alive, but you're making it into something controllable and smaller that'll fit into bread loaves. She said she never quite developed that magical thing that he seemed to do with his thumbs that got it all worked in together, but maybe with more years under her belt, she would have gotten good at that. She said people for miles around knew about his bread and they would come a distance for it. When the bread was finished, he would lay out the golden loaves on the kitchen counter in the guest house and leave them for the people who would stop by. They came in, selected their loaves, and left a donation in the box. The money that was left after expenses went toward a poor farm worker community in South America. 
and anyone who ate David's bread would not go to bed hungry that night. Anybody who ate Jesus' bread on that mountainside did not go away hungry that night either. John's aim in writing the gospel is clarified in chapter 20, verse 30. I write this so that you may believe. So the first half of the gospel is miracle after miracle after miracle. Almost as if John is saying, now see, this person could do this. This person was indeed the Messiah. All these people are healed. All these other people are fed. Amazing things happen when Jesus comes to town. And John also knew how to provoke the people's minds to think back to the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, these stories that they had grown up hearing. This story of manna in the wilderness reminds people of, oh, I just gave it away. The story of feeding of the 10,000 reminds people of the stories of manna in the wilderness where Moses was leading these hungry, tired, cranky people and prays to God, and God says, I will provide this bread-like substance for you every day. So Jesus is almost seen as the new Moses. And then lo and behold, what does he do right after this miracle? He walks on water, not that much different from Moses parting the Red Sea and walking across. Jan Richardson came to be at San Pedro because of a big dilemma in her life. As I said, she was a United Methodist minister, still is. She was serving a church, and by her own admission, she said she wasn't the best fit for that church. She said, I felt like a contemplative in the midst of this highly active church. I was an introvert drowning in a place that needed extroverts. And at the end of four years, her staff parish committee called her in and said, we think it would be to your benefit if you asked for a different position somewhere else. That's not always easy to hear. And as she writes in her book, I wonder how they came to that conclusion of what my benefit would be since they never brought me in on the discussion. That's the only little moment of, in the whole book about that transition. But she knew it was time for her to go. She wasn't happy, and they weren't happy. So she did look around, and then she wound up with this artist-in-residence position that, as I said, became a launch pad for a whole new life as an artist and a writer and a retreat leader. It was a miracle in her life, that she was able to step away from that negative experience and not just throw down her keys and say, I'm done with ministry, I'm done with organized church, I'm done with Jesus. No. She said, I am not done with my faith whatsoever, but as an artist, I'm going to recraft my life. And with God's help, she certainly did that. And now is in a position where she touches so many more people than she did even at that megachurch where she was the associate pastor. She's so good at visualizing for us what life must have been like for Jesus and creating beautiful scenes that we can see and hear and smell, which any good preacher is supposed to be able to do. 
Pondering Jesus' comments about the kingdom of God, she says, I think he must have watched somebody baking bread. Most likely it was his mother Mary as he watched as she took the yeast and mixed it into the flour and stirred in the oil and the salt and worked the dough and baked it and fed the steaming loaf to the hungry boy Jesus. Perhaps it was just this sort of memory that helped him understand and explain what the kingdom of God is like. It comes not with thunderbolts, but rises in small ways, like a mustard seed sown in a field, growing with rain and sun and care to become a huge shrub. Or like the making of bread, with God working as a baker woman to take the yeast, to leaven the flour, to work the dough, to wait for the rising, to bake it, and break it and bless it and share it so that those who eat of it will not be hungry. We come to the altar every week, sometimes, or once a month around here. I say every week because we do serve communion in the Rose Chapel every Sunday after 8.30 and after the 11 o'clock service. But most of us as a huge group come once a month And we kneel at this altar and we are fed bread and wine. We come together not only asking for forgiveness for our sins, for a fresh start and a clean slate, but we also come reconciled to one another each time we move forward. We come here and we kneel and in a sense we are saying physically, I lay down my arms and I am not in conflict with anyone here. If you imagine if we all carried swords and uh, we, well, we would have to rearrange the seating in here, I guess, but in old times when you probably had a weapon on you to fight off wild animals as you walked, you would have to lay down your sword before you came and knelt at this holy table. And you cup your hands in a peaceful gesture saying, I'm ready to be fed this bread from Jesus. And Jesus said... I am the bread of life. Certainly in the miracle he did out there on the mountainside, he was living that out, and he was reminding us that he can feed not only our spiritual needs, but also the tangible needs that we have, the needs that keep us alive. Jan Richardson talks about the book that she wrote that I just read, she says she, would visit, she was visited in the, in the working of it by memories of wise companions and of tables we have shared. In the spiraling journey, one of the gifts that has sustained me most has been the breaking of bread, the opportunity to linger over the table with folks who have accompanied me along the way. And in truth, that's what the communion table is all about. That's what us being the faith community is all about. Acknowledging God, worshiping God, and helping each other along the way. I close with one of her poems. To your table, God, you bid us come. You have set the places, you have poured the wine, and there is always room, you say, for one more. And so we come from the streets and from the alleys, we come. From the deserts and from the hills, we come. From the ravages of poverty and from the palaces of privilege, we come. Running, limping, carried, 
we come. We are bloodied with our wars. We are wearied with our wounds. We carry our dead within us, and we reckon with their ghosts. We hold the seeds of healing. We dream of a new creation. We know the things that make for peace, and we struggle to give them wings. And yet to your table we come, hungering for your bread we come, thirsting for your wine we come, singing your song in every language, speaking your name in every tongue, in conflict and in communion, in discord and in desire we come. O God of wisdom, we come. Amen. <laughs>